Check one, two. Hi, friends. Good to be here. Good to be back. Um, we've got a cool show for you today. You know what's really weird is we live in this kind of crazy dystopian world where people tell you what's going on and they show you pictures of what's going on and they try to get you to believe something else or they curate those pictures or stories for their own benefit. And uh, uh, never have I ever in my 50 years on this beautiful planet um, been more confused at the same time, more clear about uh, what's going on with media, what's going on with uh, the state that we live in, what's going on with empathy, what's going on with the stories that are being curated. And if you've been following uh, the story of the homeless encampments in Alberta that are being systematically disassembled um, in a way that is um, archaic, mean, um, thoughtless. If you're following some of the homeless encampments around Canada that are being dismembered, dismantled, uh, with no thought to the people that have to live there, that need to live there, um, you're not alone. I mean, we've all watched in horror as these things have happened and they spiral out of control because no one's willing to do anything and very few people cover these things. And Canada, of course, uh, belongs to the indigenous people of this country. So these homeless encampments, specifically in areas where you've got indigenous people uh, that have been marginalized and put into uh, certain situations where they have no choice, uh, clearing them out around Christmas in the middle of winter, um, seems evil, seems mean. And it's happening all over the place. And very few people cover it with the exception of my next guest, who herself, as a journalist, was arrested covering these homeless encampments. Please welcome um fresh off of being booked brandy morin ladies and gentlemen miss morin how are you nice to see you tonse dean thank you so much for having me i'm okay thank you yeah uh, okay is the operative word can we get to tonse please what did you just say to me can you teach me <laughs> yeah sure tonse means hello how are you in cree tonse mm -hmm. tonse <laughs> Brandy Morin, nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, yes. I've watched you uh, for the last little bit. And, uh, you know, obviously being a journalist and you have been a journalist for a long time, um, you know, culminating in an arrest as you were covering a uh, the clearing of a homeless encampment in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, we're going to get to some of the details, but I want to kind of get to your background. How long have you been a journalist, Brandy? Yeah, I've been a journalist full time now for almost 15 years. And I started at my local community newspaper doing that full time as a staff writer, the Stony Plain um, reporter, Spruce Grove Examiner. Did that uh, for a couple of years. And while I was there, I started noticing the way that uh, our people were being portrayed in the media and, you know, just seeing. Um, a lot of the harmful stereotypes and racism and discrimin discrimination um, that was contributing uh, to a lot of the, you know, um, uh, adversity that Indigenous communities, many Indigenous communities are facing. And so uh, I started to write a special feature, weekly feature, and really found my beat and my calling in that. And so uh, within a couple of years, I started working for the Aboriginal People's Television Network, National News, and became their Alberta correspondent, 
From there, I moved on to the CBC Indigenous Unit, where I helped launch that, that unit and worked there as the Alberta co correspondent for a couple of years. And then I became a freelancer. And uh, the reason why I left, you know, a, a salary and, you know, a, a cushy, uh, stable uh, career position at the CBC is because I was just tired of the apathy that I was seeing uh with it you know with, with the public and and the media uh in how indigenous stories were being received and i wanted to get that out to an international audience in the hopes that when people learned abroad about uh, you know the human rights violations and the injustices that were going on here that maybe you know, they would care and that would create you know pressure for things to change here and so i've been a freelancer now gosh for like five years and have traveled, you know, all across North America and even to Rome to cover the papal apology for the Catholic Church's role in residential schools. Mm -hmm. So you've been you've been doing this for a long time. You've been writing your passion, and in becoming a journalist, you realize that your passion is covering uh, stories in and around the indigenous community, talking about marginalization, talking about some of the tropes, uh, the insults, the way people are treated and portrayed. Uh, the first people of these countries that we live in. Um, yeah. And and that's taken you on this journey that culminated in you getting arrested covering the, yeah. the, these stories. Is that correct? Can you take me through that real quick? Yeah, I mean, this is not my first time covering, you know, conflicts between the police or and Indigenous uh, peoples. So I've done extensive work in Wet'suwet'en territories in northern mm -hmm. British Columbia where... Yeah. We have uh, indigenous uh, uh, people there uh, fighting. Trying to protect aid. their land against the pipeline, right? Yes, to, yes. You know, yeah, yeah. yes. I've done extensive uh, coverage at Ferry Creek, those blockades that are yeah. happening there to protect old growth forests, as well as, you know, other, uh, you know, industry uh, conflicts where indigenous land defenders are standing up for their rights, where police are involved, where police, you know, uh, raid um, these um you know, in resistance camps and mm -hmm. where police set up exclusion zones for the media. So I'm quite familiar with these different tactics and I'm quite familiar with my rights as a journalist to cover uh, police enforcement. And so I was, you know, at a story that was quite close to home right here in my own Treaty 6 territory, um, the uh, police dismantling of an indigenous encampment in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And uh, on my second day there covering the story um, is when this all went down. I was targeted uh, by a police officer specifically and, um, and then arrested, thrown into a paddy wagon and held in jail for five hours and charged with obstruction. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so you say, and, and, and if you're, if people aren't familiar, this is a couple of weeks ago. Um, homeless encampment, RCMP, Edmonton police all descended on this homeless encampment in downtown Edmonton. Uh, and Edmonton has a very specific and very unique uh, homeless indigenous community. Mm. Um, you're there just simply to cover. You're not there as an advocate, correct? Mm. So 
Edmonton is home to the second highest population um, of Indigenous peoples in this country. About 8% of uh, citizens, Edmonton citizens identify as Indigenous, yet make up 60% of people experiencing homelessness. So, you know, it's a it's a crisis that largely affects our people. Sorry, do you say um, 8% of the population in Edmonton is Indigenous and it makes up 60% of the homeless yeah. category? Is that yes. correct? Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's quite mind indicative. Yeah, sorry, um, it's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was there in my capacity as a, as a freelance journalist. I was on assignment for Ricochet Media. And on that day that I was arrested, uh, I was there to get some in-depth uh, interviews with people that were living in these encampments. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, just before my arrest, I was interviewing the camp leader. His, he's known as Big Man or Roy Cardinal. We were in there. There was people coming and going. I was in his tent that is shaped like a teepee. They had, you know, like it, it. There, there was. There's a lot of characterization of these encampments by uh, the province and the Edmonton police as being absolutely criminal and gang-ridden and dangerous. Now mm -hmm. that may be the case in some instances, but this was an indigenous encampment that was a community they were a community of you know people that have experienced you know much adversity and have a lot of shared experiences and trauma and they had like ceremonial items there um they you know had advocates there and volunteers that were there you know checking up on them and really you know um treating them with dignity and compassion so I was there doing these interviews, got word, um, you know, somebody came inside the tent and said, you know, the, the police are here. So I went outside and seen that the police were setting up a yellow crime scene tape around the premises. It's about a two acre lot that this encampment was on. This is it right here on the screen. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, and so I came outside, camera rolling. I made a couple of quick video posts to my ex account mm -hmm. to say that the police are here. Something's going to go down. Mm -hmm. And with, you know, less than 10 minutes later, the police had um, formed a line on a small mound uh, just overlooking the camp and asked to speak with the camp leader, Roy Cardinal. He came out with some other individuals living in the camp as well as their supporters and addressed the police and addressed his anger at them for violently taking down uh, a Blackfoot Dene man the day before who was there as a volunteer to support the camp. Sure. And this, this was captured on um video yeah, that was and, big news too that yeah. was huge news as well yeah yeah so so he, he you know he was he was angry and said you know what are you guys doing this for um basically the police said you know you have the opportunity to leave peacefully or you're going to be forcibly removed and your encampment's going to be taken down either way so Roy stood there, looked at his comrades and said eagle feathers up boys they lifted their eagle feathers up and, you know, seconds later, the police moved forward to take him down. And uh, my camera's rolling. Now, I have to note that before this all went down, no other media was there that day. When I came out of the tent, there was media there with cameras behind this yellow tape. And so I, I'm assuming that they got word from the police that the police were going to do this raid. 
And anyway, so as I'm rolling, the police are plummeting uh, Roy Cardinal and the other people uh, at this encampment and volunteers. An RCMP uh, officer named uh, Sergeant Amber Mays, you know, comes towards me, blocking my my view and saying, "You have to leave." And I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm media. I'm a journalist. She says like, no, you have to get out of here. And I said, well, you know, I have a right to document this. I'm not impeding you. And she goes, yes, you are. So she started pushing me back physically and I was still asserting my rights. My camera was still rolling. And I knew that these, she said, get, go behind the yellow line, go back there. Mm-hmm. Now this yellow line was like 50 feet away from what was happening. And and I knew that these exclusion exclusion zones that they create for the media, that they're unlawful, that they've been proved to be unlawful in other jurisdictions where this happens in Ferry Creek, um, at Muskrat Falls uh, several years ago in Newfoundland where Justin Brake was criminally charged for following protesters into an injunction zone. So yeah. I knew my rights and I asserted my rights. So next thing you know, I'm handcuffed and hauled away. Meanwhile, um, the other media that were there, like way on the other side behind the yellow line, were zooming their cameras in on me. Yeah. And meanwhile, all this other action is happening where these people are experienced, like overuse of force from the mm-hmm. police. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was impeded from mm-hmm. doing my work as a journalist. And, um, you know, my ability to properly report was derailed. Um, and yeah, I was held in jail. It sucked. Five hours. You're there for five hours. Yeah. So I'm get any snacks or no, nothing, nothing good, (laughs) nothing, but I'm told that that was quite unusual for somebody that doesn't have a criminal record and for a a charge of obstruction that you like, usually you're charged and like just let out right away. Yeah. Yeah. Usually if it's your first. What's the that? officer, he even threatened me that I was going to be held for like 72 hours. I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like I was freaked out. Like it was like a major mind screw around yeah. <laughs> and kind of still is. Well, of course it is because you're there doing your job and you've been a venerable journalist, a professional journalist. Oh, good. 20, I have to tell you. Years. Yes, yes. Go ahead. So when I'm being like booked, when they bring me in and, you know, preparing to search me and stuff, there's a there's an officer that comes around the corner. So the officer that was interviewing me was asking me my name. And I said like Brandy Moore. And and then another officer comes around the corner that wasn't at, you know, the, the raid. And he goes, wait, are you Brandy? Like Brandy Moore, the journalist. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, Oh, like, yeah, I know your work. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just, but he was like shocked. And I was just like, yeah, I think you guys are in trouble. That's what I said. (laughs) Is that what you said to him? That's I all did. You, I did. I was, up, I was, I was a bit a of a fight? smart ass. No, I was a bit of a smart ass. I said, yeah, I think you guys are in trouble, you know, but it was just, it was really striking yeah. in that moment because they are familiar with my work. Mm-hmm. I'm an author. I've, I've written a book. I do a lot of public uh, speaking about the work that I do and my own experiences. Right. So, um, you know, it was just really absurd and uncomfortable and, and it, it still is. The Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by factcheck.io. Factcheck.io, makers of the world's most comprehensive fact-checking software that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact-check anything that you read. It doesn't matter. If it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact-check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, 
whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information so that you can give yourself agency over information in the age of disinformation. Again, want to beta test their product? They're going to launch it in the next month or two. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. Back to the show. Well, to get arrested for doing your job, covering a homeless encampment that's been cleared out that has a press release where other press are there, but they are way far back because this whole thing is, pardon my language, a cock up, if you will, where they're like, yeah, you get to, we need you to go and film us, the police clearing out a dangerous encampment full of people who are doing Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, you know they, I mean? That's their defense that it's dangerous. Totally. It's too oh, yeah, dangerous yeah. for us to be <laughs> yeah. able to do our job. Yeah. Sure. Which is government <laughs> intervention in your life. Yes, you exactly. telling you that, that you know, we're looking out for you, which is the one thing Alberta seems to be really good at telling everybody that, hey, uh, we're looking out for you, even though mm. you don't need anybody looking out for you. And they're also really good at ignoring the plight of individuals who need help. And this is an extreme yes. example of that where, you know, the, you've got people in the middle of winter, nowhere to go, a community mm-hmm. of individuals. You're there to cover it. You're there to talk about what their stories are. And you get caught up in a raid of people who are legitimately thrown in jail mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they have no place to live, no place to eat, no place to call home. Yep. And and because of systemic racism, mm-hmm. because these people have been marginalized, because mm-hmm. of the tropes and some of the disadvantages that people like to paint the indigenous community with. And it has been going on for a very long time. This was not your first run-in with, with police when it comes to covering these sorts of events in these sorts of stories, correct? Absolutely. I mean, it's a continual uh, fight to have these stories heard, right? Um, it's, you know, I it's continual stories of human rights, you know, violations. Sure. Uh, and uh, they're important. And, you know, historically, these stories have been stifled, right? And so it's really shocking that Edmonton, that, you know, hosted one of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearings mm-hmm. and whose former male mayor was a witness and who that touts, you know, their aspirations to, you know, m- move forward with truth mm-hmm. and reconciliation. And yet, you know, their police forces mm-hmm. are heavy handedly and violently dealing with the repercussions of why we need truth and reconciliation and also targeting indigenous journalists, you know, telling the context of, you know, what's really going on. Right. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really uh, confusing for me, right. Because, you know, I've been at, you know, events where I'm seated even recently next to the mayor of the city you know, the city of Edmonton. And, um, you know, now that this has gone down, like it, again, it it has me questioning, like, is everything a facade because Canada on a world stage, right. They are seen as a, you know, a champion of human rights, Mm -hmm. but it's not the case Mm -hmm. underneath that veal is the truth that the first peoples of this land are, you know, excessively, and systematically oppressed, marginalized, and have and have their rights violated on a continual basis. Um, so it's you know I guess it's really indicative as to what the truth is. Well, you, you know, you touch on something 
that I think everybody knows, right, is that the whole truth and reconciliation thing, the idea that Canada can and will come to grips with the genocide of the first people of this land, uh, the continued marginalization of the first people of this land, the continued oppression, as you point out, of the first people of this land is largely performative, you know, and, and it's largely performative federally. And I think you're seeing it mm-hmm. become largely performative in Alberta, which I think, you know, is the goal for that current government of the day, which is, hey, mm-hmm. let's take what we can from these people who mm-hmm. uh, we came to this country and stole everything from. And let's, mm-hmm. you know, e- e- even in Ontario, it happens, Brandy, like you're familiar with the Greenbelt oh, yeah. disaster, right? Yes, I'm familiar like, with with the yeah. ring of fire and what's <laughs> unfolding there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's the same old. Uh, the indigenous people, the first people that own this land are always the last to know about what they're what is being taken from them. And they're always the last to know when it happens to them. Absolutely. And I've seen it over and over and over again. So to your point, it is largely performative. And how do you stay motivated to tell those stories when it's largely performative and you get arrested because you know it is largely performative? Yeah, you know, like, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I've never questioned more than I have lately about the work that I do and the personal sacrifices that are required. I have considered getting out of journalism because of the darkness and the heaviness that this vilification and criminalization of my, my being, you know, has brought about. But at the same time, I understand the urgency of the crisis that we are in in this country when it comes to the oppression of indigenous nations and not and that not everybody has that expertise in this profession right um to uh to bring you know this information and these experiences to the masses through the platform of the the media. And I think about how I believe when this kind of thing happens, because this isn't the first time that this has happened to journalists in this country. And it's usually always happens to indigenous, uh, to to journalists that are covering indigenous conflicts or Mm -hmm. climate change across this country uh, when they are targeted uh, by police. With a bias for the people and not the state. I don't know if you've you've realized that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now at the same time, um, and I, and I totally lost my train of thought and it, and it was good. Oh my God. Just the, the motivation to continue to do the work that you do where you've thought, Hey, you know, you've never been more disenfranchised, but you've also said you've never been more aware of the need to continue to tell these stories. Right. Yes, absolutely. And I think, yes, this is what this, I think that that was part, that's part of the goal, right? When, um, we know when, when, when we have police or RCMP that want to, you know, overstep their power, that is the goal to silence, to discredit, to insult, um, Send a message to threaten. Exactly. Right. And so when I think about that, it's like, well, no, yes, this, this sucks. The mental, you know, the psychological impacts of it have been um, horrible, but at the same time, that was their goal. And I know, 
I think about the legacy of work, right, that I have built up. And I'm like, you know what? I have to stand on that and not, you know, let this derail all of that work, you know, that I have pushed through all these years. And so, you know, I'm trying to stay in that place and not letting my mind go to the what ifs of if this, you know, does go to trial, if the charges aren't dropped. Yesterday, I received notification that uh, the Crown finally received disclosure from the police. And, you know, they took 21 days to send it because my first court appearance is today. Mm -hmm. Although I don't have to physically be there, my lawyer's going for me. But they submitted 61 pages of disclosure. So basically, they put in all of that effort of 61 pages of evidence to prosecute me. So they are going over and above and are determined mm -hmm. to create a precedent and to send that message. Uh, to to so other people who are covering the humanity behind some of the indigenous inequality and the stories around inequality. They, they, they have, they're making an yeah. example of you with a 61 page document that says, here's the disclosure. Here's all the things mm -hmm. you did. And, and if I'm to hear you correctly in every source uh, story that I've read about you and your arrest said that you were in the tent, came out of the tent, someone grabbed you, pushed you back. You've recounted that. How do you get 61 pages <laughs> of, hey, I came out of the tent, someone arrested me. Like, how do you do that? And what was their justification yeah. in those pages? Did you read any of it? Uh, I haven't got it yet. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm looking That'll be a fun it. read for a journalist, won't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have my own video evidence because my, because my camera was rolling. There was sure. multiple other people there that were filming and none of them were targeted. They, they were cleared out afterwards. So were they indigenous? Uh, I think some of them were absolutely. So I think, I don't know. I, I'm speculating, but I'm pretty sure they knew who I was, okay. right? Um, because they had been following different social media posts and such that the police had. So I, I, I do believe that I was targeted, uh, in you know, by by this uh, sergeant, and they, uh, I don't know what their reasonings were exactly, but well, what did you I get charged with? Obstruction. Oh, for standing there. It's a criminal offense. Like. It's it, no, but but I, okay, I stood there, but I also, when she was pushing me, yeah, I asserted my rights, right? Meaning, so meaning you stood your ground, you didn't move back. Um, I sort of was because I was being pushed, yeah, right? But I said, I'm not leaving, I have a right to document this, sure, right? And I knew that those, those, uh, ex that yellow tape, the exclusion zone, I knew it was unlawful, and so then I was arrested. Oh. Oh, because you're on the other side of the the yellow tape. I was inside uh, already. <laughs> you know, I was, you know, I was inside already. Yes. But but you have to understand the yellow tape wasn't close. No. Oh, she said it was like 50 feet away. They put yeah, it 50 feet away. It they told close. the other reporters to stand there and just film film us. Don't yes, film them. Don't film the exactly. responses, that kind of stuff. You, they, you you can see the coverage. They mm -hmm. were zooming in their cameras as far as they could, but they couldn't they couldn't zoom in enough to see who was getting pounded, who was getting choked out by the police, which is you know, how they usually conduct themselves in these situations. And I know that our people experience, you know, brutality, mm -hmm. you know, from police at higher rates than any other, um, you know, uh, race or culture in this country. And so it was important for me to be there to witness. And to document it, you, you know, it's yeah. the ongoing yeah. systematic abuse of indigenous people in this country. When you say that they pushed you back and charged you with obstruction, 
and then you say, hey, you watch these people get beat. They put their feathers up. Is that what Edmonton police did? Was it just Edmonton police? Was it RCMP? And what was the level of violence that you saw? I mean, it was it was just Edmonton police. And I and I believe they had some peace officers there around the premises to help them like reinforcements. There's various video up there. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was violent. Like when I uh, Ricardo was arrested, along with a 21 year old university student, non-native. She was there as a uh, witness, like just as a like a supporter. Sure. And I seen video after of Roy. Um, you know, him being beaten on and then him being led away in cuffs and he's got blood pooling in his mouth. And of course it's, it's excessively violent, but that's how they roll. Like. Mm. What did they do? What was the excuse for the violence other than standing there with their feathers and saying, we have nowhere else to go. Did any of the, the people in the encampment, um, did they take swings? Did they put up a fight? No. Well, no, I, I just saw that Roy Cardinal stood his ground. He didn't, he wasn't, you know, throwing punches or anything. He was standing there and they came at him and he's, he stood his ground and they, they pushed him till he was down on the ground. And so they were on top of him. Right. And, and, uh, you know, subduing him and, um, just a bunch Arms of behind the backs and all that stuff. Uh, like yeah. Wrestling. Like on yeah, the yeah, ground yeah. in the yeah. snow, his hair had, ice and snow all packed into it. Like the man's 51 years old and yeah. like, you know, um, it, it was a chaotic scene because the supporters that were there and these human rights groups, you know, they were all screaming and so, you know, some of the other people living in the camp, they were putting their hands up in the air. It was just, it was just crazy because this wasn't, um, a, you know, it wasn't a raid of, you know, a, a gang operation or something like that. It was like, vulnerable unhoused citizens right mm -hmm. um and i mean even the day before seeing the footage of how this young indigenous man we you know was taken down and he was hurt he was you know he, he was taken to hospital after it's just um and and i think that maybe they you know the police because some of these videos went viral mm -hmm. of them you know um using excessive force on this this young man that maybe that's motivation for them to have put up this exclusion zone because they didn't want to you know be scrutinized for yeah they didn't want people recording reason. some of that violence right like anytime the mm -hmm. police commit violence which happens quite a bit um yeah. you know they they don't want they want to be able to do whatever they do with impunity because they they claim that as part of the job now listen there are a lot of really good police officers out there there are a lot of really bad ones there are a lot of uh, good police precincts, good policing regions. There are a lot of bad ones. And, and, uh, but, but what we're talking about in your area, in that world, in Alberta, in Edmonton is it is not fair and it is not legitimate. Mm -hmm. Uh, the numbers bear that out. As you pointed out at the start of this podcast, where you said, you know, 8% of the population of Edmonton is in indigenous 60% of their pot of that, that, homeless population is indigenous. I mean, you know, the ratio itself tells the story. The videos tell another story to your point, which is why they didn't want you around. You were way too close to the action, right? Is that, is that the narrative that you think is, is the right narrative here? It's like, Hey, you didn't get arrested because you were in the way you got arrested because your camera was way too close to some really, really evil shit. 
As always, the Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by our friends at factcheck.io. Factcheck.io, do you believe? The good people at FactCheck are a quorum of software professionals, psychological professionals, journalists that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information and alternative sources. And there's going to be a weapon button too, where you can turn that information around and put it back out there accurately to combat disinformation. The good people at factcheck.io are right now testing their beta version of their free program. Yes, it will be free for anybody who wants to use it. They want to battle disinformation because it is a problem. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. The world's most robust fact-checking disinformation software for news, social media, video, print, anything spoken word. These people are on the tip. And they use some of the finest software technology to be able to give you the advantage when it comes to getting agency back in your life, when it comes to information that you read. Go to factcheck.io today for more information. Sign up for the beta test, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K dot I-O. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't in their way. I was not impeding them. Uh, again, this wasn't my first rodeo. I've had a ton of experience. And I just think that they wanted to throw you know, throw their power around and wanted to do it as discreetly as possible. Right. So I, I, I just found something. So, you know, how you um, were referring to the overrepresentation of, you know, indigenous homelessness in Alberta, this sure. is like this, like across the board, mm-hmm. pretty much in Canada, but I want to read something directly from the city of Edmonton themselves on indigenous homelessness in Edmonton. They know the whys of the problem. Indigenous experiences of homelessness and housing need are linked to historical trauma, oppression, racism, and discrimination. Government practices and policies, including colonialism, residential schools, and the 60 Scoop, have been linked to experiences of social exclusion, uh, familiar familiar dysfunction, substance abuse, addictions, health issues, and community violence, all of which directly contribute to homelessness and housing need. Mm -hmm. And then they go on to say about how the city is committed to addressing the disproportionate representation of Indigenous peoples among those experiencing homelessness. Well, this is the way that they're going about it. But Mm -hmm. you know what? I just learned this morning, I was reading an article because, you know, the province stepped in and the police chief, you know, you know, has announced about a week and a half ago that they are on a mission to clear every last encampment in Edmonton and that the province established this multi-million dollar processing center to deal with the people that were um, displaced, right, uh, from these encampments. Um, But I learned this morning that now the city doesn't even have any say in the matter. So the province has come in along with the direction of the police and they're running the show and the city doesn't even have a say anymore. As to what's happening, like it's just absolutely like absurd what's going on. Is it, do you think that that was the action that that you were subjected to? That was provincially mandated, not city mandated. I mean, I believe behind the scenes yeah. there was a lot of pressure on sure. the city and you know, um, you know the police to do something about the unsightly, you know, crisis of displaced people 
you know, in the city. And again, we know this is happening, not only, you know, in Edmonton, we have it in Vancouver, Toronto. I mean, I travel a lot for the work that I do and all across North America, even in the tiniest little towns and cities, there are tent encampments. This is a crisis that is growing and it's not going to be going away anytime soon. And now individuals living in these encampments are literally being, uh, you know, criminalized for being in these situations. Can I ask you what happened? I mean, I want to get to what happened to you after, because you put out a video, we're going to play it in just a second. And we're going to talk about the implications of arresting journalists. Alberta is now arresting journalists for doing journalism because they don't like the journalism. So uh, let's just call that what it is. Fascism at its finest. Mm. Um, But can I ask you a question? What happened to the community residents of that encampment mm. after, because if the goal was to get those, if they, if the province said it's unsafe, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they, that's how they, that's how they hide abuse is like, oh, it's unsafe. So we need to go kick some ass. So it's like, it's unsafe. Um, we're helping them. How did they help them after they kicked their asses <laughs> and arrested them all? So first of all, um, the city comes in and um, takes all of their tents down and gathers all their belongings and throw them through them into the back of, uh, of trucks and to take them to the dump. So all of their everything. belongings are everything. in the trash. All their personal belongings, yes, everything. any family heirlooms that any disadvantaged person may be kept close to them. <laughs> gone. Um, anything gone. Garbage. Okay. So one of the individuals there managed. That's to- caring. Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. Sure. Just sweep away. Right. Yep. Sweep it all away. But there was an individual that managed to grab, you know, his little tent and a couple of blankets. Uh, and the next day I went and he, he, he walked down the road and set up uh, uh, on the banks of the river Valley um, behind a chain link fence. And this is a day when it was like minus 40 this week. And I yelled across the chain link fence because I couldn't get through. And I said, hey, hey. And he answered. I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, but I'm really cold. And so he was in there huddling with a candle and some blankets to keep warm. And he was by himself. And then there was a 68-year-old cookum, a 68-year-old grandma who was a residential school survivor. And she was living in that encampment. And she had uh, lost her housing about a month prior. Now, they took her to... uh, a temporary like shelter in the West end that was indigenous run. It was, it was something new that had, uh, you know, been established there. Uh, Roy Cardinal, the camp leader, he was jailed uh, for a couple of days upon his release. He went to, you know, stay a couple of days at his sister's house. And then the others, I guess, you know, they just like, they just dispersed, right. They, they just, Release them you back know. to nowhere. Yeah, well, they, the only only three were arrested. Me, the leader, and the the one 21-year-old. And the rest kind of were just scattered, you know, all over. And, and their belongings gone. In the name of giving those people a better living situation, they went and beat the shit out of them, <laughs> arrested people, Mm-hmm. Threw away everything that they owned, what little they had left in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just said, go figure it out. That's yeah, nice. it's basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't there to uh, witness whether or not services were offered to them because I was jailed, right? Um, but, you know, bas- it's it's interesting because a couple of days after 
the city police chief held a press conference and, you know, stated that at no time have the Edmonton police acted without empathy and accountability in carrying out, you know, these raids. And, and I just was like astonished. And I actually made a little video, um, you know, intertwining his statements with the footage, you know, that was out there of how, you know, these, these police are, um, you know, empathetically and, you know, yeah, empathetically <laughs> kicking everybody's ass. And yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never seen an empathetic beating of a marginalized person in my life by a police officer. <laughs> I've never, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen beatings. I've never seen, I've never gone, wow, that was really nice of that guy. Exactly right. To beat all those people and take all of their shit. I want to get to what your arrest means for journalism, Brandy, mm -hmm. because you are a journalist. I want to play a video. This is you, I believe, yesterday or the day before going to get fingerprinted and, mm. and charged, criminalized as a human being, something that's never happened to you before. Something you've never you've, you you've never committed a crime. Your crime was empathy, and your crime was doing your job. But I want to play this video, and then I want to get to that in just a second. Let's watch. I am headed to the Edmonton Police Headquarters. Here, you can see behind me. I've been avoiding this day for a long time. I have to show up to be fingerprinted, mugshotted, and basically criminalized. This is really um, solidifying, you know, that I'm being criminalized for doing my job, holding the police to account, witnessing as I was arrested on January 10th here in Edmonton, covering an indigenous homeless camp. And yeah, uh, by the way, fierce glasses for your booking. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I, where did I get those? I, I think I got those in the U.S. somewhere, but thank you so much. Oh, very fierce. I, I loved it. If you're going to go get booked for doing your job, you want to look fabulous and you look absolutely excellent. I um, wanted to show them how much I looked like a criminal, too. Yeah, like, yeah. That's on. quite the criminal. Uh, first time being charged with a crime? Absolutely. Yes. I yeah. mean, I, when I was a youth, I got into just, you know, some trouble. I mean, I had some experiences as a youth, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I write about those experiences, by the way, mm -hmm. in my book, our voice of fire. Um, but no, not as an adult. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Never in the line of duty, never doing your job. You're a law abiding citizen. You're a, Oh, I've been threatened. I've been threatened with arrest by police when I am there. I've yeah. been grabbed. I've been, you know, intimidated, like, it, it, you know, but it's never, Mm -hmm. come to this yeah. you grow up with the stories of um from your your parents ancestors about 60 scoop about residential schools you grow up <laughs> with the idea that men and women in uniform in a in a colonial police state uh did you grow up with some of those stories as well i mean there's a general you know distrust uh, in regards to sure. residential schools in my family you know we didn't really address it until later on uh when i was young my cook and my grandmother would refer to her experiences as like in the convent that's what we knew and yeah. then it was until later when you know all of this starts stuff started you know coming about and they were named you know residential schools and i equated you know all of that experience all of that um dysfunction and brokenness of my own you know family line to a lot of these experiences so mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and, and and that experience dictates you know the way that we view the world the way we Absolutely. view police so that that in itself you know that experience that we just watched 
Mm-hmm. You know, you probably thought this will never happen to me, but you probably like, I mean, it happened to you. And it, it's like one of those days, I think a lot of people in the, in the community look at and go, uh, they were right. All the stories, my grandparents, my mother, everybody. Like, did you have that feeling in that? Cause oh, I, I did. I'm like, she's probably grown up. Brandy has probably grown up hearing all these stories. And now it is happening to her to no fault of her own for doing her job for being an empathetic reporter. Well, I, I just, uh, you know, I had a moment when I was being fingerprinted and having my mugshot taken and everything. Um, so I've done a lot of reporting on missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and the violence that our people face. And I also am a survivor of this genocide. So while I was there, the officer asked me, he said, you know, is there anybody that you want to list as an emergency contact after taking all of my information? And I said, well, what do you need that for? And he said, well, just in case something ever happens to you. And I knew because of the work that I do, that the majority of the time when our women and girls are missing or murdered, the police use their mug shots, right? That's how we're portrayed were portrayed as criminal Mm. and they used their mugshots in the media. And I thought, wow, it's coming full circle. Like here I am, Mm. you know, being put into this system, you know, and, and, and into this uh, circle of Mm. violence Mm -hmm. that our women and girls, you know, experience. And I don't think the average person, you know, would correlate that, but I very much did. Mm. So it became incredibly personal. It was like everything had come full circle to your point, mm-hmm. which you just mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me. Um, it's amaz- it, 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 Your story amazes me uh, from that perspective, but it also amazes me from a professional perspective. Brandy Morin joins us. She's a reporter. She was caught up in a homeless encampment just to kind of reset the table, uh, trying to report on it. Uh, she is indigenous. She has been reporting on these things for a long time. Uh, she was fingerprinted book for obstruction of justice while the police beat the crap out of people that were just trying to live. Um, and um, the professional implications are far reaching. We've seen the Toronto star come out and support basically every major professional MSM, by the way, you look lovely here. Oh, um, Toronto star, what charges against journalist Brandy Moore mean for Canadian democracy? Uh, just a little, a little sliver from there uh, when it comes to police intimidation, impediment or arrests, we notice a consistent threat. A number of journalists covering indigenous stories and climate change related stories dominate the chart. Brandy Morin has been charged by uh, targeted by RCMP and police on multiple occasions in the past few years. In all of these cases, she was covering issues that impact the lives of indigenous people. Now, in terms of the chilling effect that that can have on on journalists, right, let's just kind of zoom in. Because mm. the climate change and indigenous issues, both of those things really go hand in hand because the first people of this country are responsible people. We are yeah. not, generally speaking, biz- big business is not. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think the targeting of you reporting in these stories comes from? 
Well, I just want to say that like the trend um, towards this aggression uh, against journalists has been on the rise now for several years. It started, you know, around the pandemic and George Floyd protests, Occupy Wall Street, where journalists in the U.S. were getting uh, arrested and detained left and right. And it's you know, happening more and more here in Canada. Mostly it's in ha it's happening on Indigenous and climate change front, front lines, but we are seeing it now become the norm in other, you know, areas. And it's actually terrifying because, like, we are supposedly, right, living in a democracy. And we know that one of the four pillars of democracy is a strong press a strong and free press and when that gets eroded that is usually uh you know correlates to the erosion of a democracy you know when when the the freedoms of the press are uh you know threatened then everybody's freedom is threatened because we work on behalf of the public we work to hold the powers that be in check and to account. We work to accurately and factually, you know, disseminate information to the public. To witness. Exactly. And yeah. so when this is starting to become a trend, when journalists are being criminalized while on the job, I mean, this happens in, you know, totalitarian, you know, states and countries. This was a tactic of yeah. Hitler himself. Uh, you know, with, uh, you know, before, you know, uh, um, you know, propaganda and, and that kind of thing. And this is happening, you know, even the vilifying of uh, the demonizing of the media from, you know, pre former President Trump. And that's infiltrating largely here in Canada, especially in Alberta. Our own premier, you know, just, gosh, a few days ago had Tucker Carlson here in in Alberta and was, you know, hosting mocking mainstream him, media, saying, mocking hey, listen, and yeah, discrediting, you right? Do whatever we want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. So that gives you a sense of the, you know, the, the environment and the rhetoric that is, you know, um, is out there. And I believe that, you know, it would have an impact on, you know, the police and maybe their decisions, right, to, um, you know, to do what they're doing. Yeah, they feel empowered, right? You know, yes. and, and it's funny because I think, you know, you, um, you know, you touch on something that's systemic. It's very quiet. It's very dark is that generally speaking, people in uniform, right, are uh, there for a reason. They love that job. They love the power that comes with it. They love all those things. Uh, you know, and I, I think back to the convoy and how the police were super involved in allowing that thing to breathe for a long period of time. Um, and they love the action. And then when they get a leader who's like, I'm all about the police, I want you to do whatever you want. Um, and then mm -hmm. you've got personal leanings in that province. And that province is largely colonial, backed by some systemic religious racism and some colonial religious racism, uh, Christianity, Catholicism. I mean, we know Alberta is a hotbed and it's a Bible belt. Uh, and so you've got people that really do legitimately that are in policing that really their ideologies do align with that current government of the day. And that current government of the day is giving the nod, nod, wink, wink. Oh, absolutely. Anybody so. in that province <laughs> that polices to do whatever they want done so that they don't look bad. Right. I know. And like, it's, it's interesting. Cause like I have watched 
um, a lot of progression, like over the years when it comes to, um, you know, uh, truth and reconciliation, when it comes to um, indigenous stories, uh, you know, actually making, you know, the headlines and, and being shared in mainstream media. And just when you think that you're like, you know, making progress and uh, this, this kind of thing starts to happen and we're actually like moving backwards. And um, again, I think it's terrifying. It's, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, I am really still working to reckon with um, the situation that I'm in. And I really want to, you know, to point out that, yes, I always knew that there was a risk, unfortunately, of being arrested while doing, arrested while doing this work, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, the police are, you know, often there in many of these conflicts that I cover, mm. but it's, it's just different. We you know when it happened, when it actually happens and mm -hmm. you, you're, you're very, um, you know, not only professionally, but personally, I feel, you know, violated and impacted. Well, it's, it's one thing to cover, you know, marginalization and oppression because it's sometimes I'm sure you go back home, right? You go back home and you sit down on your couch, maybe make something to eat. You might grab a tea or a coffee or maybe a Manhattan. I don't know how you do life, Brandy. It's up to you. I support you wholeheartedly, no matter what you do. <laughs> but to come home at night and go, thank God that's not me. That was you. Mm. Right. Like you, you, you experienced mm. it. And even though you haven't, you've experienced it by virtue of what you've covered, you know, you're, you've experienced it. And then that comes with a whole different set of circumstances, right? Oh, yeah. You got to get a lawyer. You got to go through the rigmarole. You feel like a criminal. You've been criminalized. Oh, yeah. You've been arrested. That experience for anybody who's been arrested. I have once uh, for oh. anybody who's been arrested. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a whole long story. It had to do with a curling club maestro fresh west in a joint like 30 years oh, no. ago. So don't worry about it. Um, anyway, but that was back when weed was bad. Now it's good. Yeah, yeah. Like, so um, but I think anybody who's ever experienced what you've experienced, right, can can tell that story. But there's an ancillary story that comes with it. It's it's what it does to you when it mm -hmm. comes to the cost, when it comes mm -hmm. to the time when it comes to the anxiety and the PTSD that you suffer after the fact, like this isn't just about, Oh, Brandy, you just got caught up in something, you know, it's, it's yeah. not going to be a big deal. You forget what Brandy went through in that whole experience that you've mm -hmm. now experienced. Right. And what that does to a person. So when people sit there and go, ah, oh, it's no big deal. No, man, it's a big deal. If you've ever been arrested, like, and on top of it, been arrested for doing your job. Like, can you imagine yeah, exactly. and being just, a mathematician yeah. showing up to university to teach people math? And they're like, you can't teach people this math today. And you're like, why not? And it's like, well, because we're doing something in here. And you're like, well, I'm, I get paid to teach math. And they're like, yeah, that's it. You're getting arrested. You have your destruction of math justice. Like, like, it is absolutely bizarre. And it doesn't stand to reason that oh, there's thanks. any other reason for you being arrested other than the fact that people don't want Brandy Moore and so close to the oppression that they are delivering mm, people correct mm, yes thank you absolutely thank you and i just wanted to be done um i'm sick of what's going on i'm over it um but you know I, it's something that i have to deal with and just taking it day by day and hopefully you know the the crown will look at this and you know Apologize. It's, it's not in the public interest, right? To prosecute, you know, to prosecute a journalist. So, uh, 
yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a mind screw around. Like I said, um, it didn't end that day that I was, mm-hmm. you know, let out of jail. It's. Can I ask you a question? Last, sure. uh, last couple questions. And I'll let you go, Brandy, because you've been so generous with your time. You're lovely, by the way. Mm-hmm. Thank you for Thank doing you. this in a, in such a chaotic time. Um, what kind of messages do you get from people who don't support you right now? Like, I mean, you know, that's uh, the, the haters, if you will. And listen, I'm a, I, I'm no stranger to the hate myself, but mm-hmm. uh, because when you stand up for other people, some people want to tell you how it goes. You've been charged. What's that hater stream like hmm. online? Oh, it's yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's like unhinged. Like, we know how bad things have gotten right over the last couple of years on social media and especially, you know, on X since Elon's takeover and such. But I mean, yeah, it's, there's a ton, there's a ton of trolls. Some of them, I'm even questioning whether they are police officers incognito really because the details that they know of what occurred uh, with, with what they're posting but yeah, I'm being called a criminal. I'm being called a fake, an activist, not a journalist. Kind of every name in the book that they can't, you know, like they can't wait to, you know, to see me do time and mm. um, just a lot. And 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 some of it, you know, is is racist and discriminatory. And my son, he's 24. He called me the other day and we we're talking about it. And he's been reading different articles online about me and what happened. And he goes, Mom, like it's pretty bad. The comments is you know, the sections, they're, they're really, really bad mom. And I'm like, well, where show me, he goes, mom, don't go read them. But it's like the fact that my kids, right. Are, yeah. um, are seeing that kind of thing is, you know, really sucky. So it is what it is. And I'm, 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 I'm working to limit my own exposure mm-hmm. to that because yeah, it's toxic and you know, you can only take so much as a human being. So I'm thankful. Mm. I have a lot of people that are incredible. I have freaking every press organization in the world behind me. I have Amnesty International, which, you know, I, I just got an award with, you know, in the fall. I have, you know, I just won an award for um, helping to um, it, to move forward press freedom in this country from Pan Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, it it's helpful to have that support, you know, because it can be a really um, isolating and gross feeling to be going through this. So, um, mm-hmm. also my good friend, Amber Bracken, we've done a lot of work together. She was arrested in Wet'suwet'en territories and jailed for four days and mm-hmm. held. Now she is, uh, suing her charges were dropped. She's suing the RCMP in the landmark Supreme court of Canada, you know, case, uh, for wrongful arrest. And, um, she was at the encampment. She just wasn't there that moment when I was arrested, you know, but I have people that, have also experienced, you know, this, um, you know, this, uh, you know, violation and targeting, you know, of, of their profession and their rights. And I'm really, really thankful that they're, you know, standing by me. We have to stick together. We have to stand together mm. because if this starts to unfold and if people let this, you know, continue uh, to happen, I mean, where, like, where, Where does are it we end? headed? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who's next? You know, and I think I think it like anything that we've seen recently, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Um, unfortunately, the indigenous community is the last community to be consulted when we're stealing from them. But generally speaking, it takes 
people from the indigenous community to set that tone. And you might be that tone setter for the journalism industry in this country when it comes to respect. Uh, you're a hero uh, just by uh. virtue of what you've done, you know, and, and you're a, you're a mentor to so many people just by virtue of you being able to stand there like a rock, not a wave, a rock, right? <laughs> Where you can say to yourself that I am proud that I have mm. stood for what is most important to me. I have not given up. I have not allowed a police state to intimidate me. I have not mm. allowed elites in this country and colonialism to beat me. I have not. And you have seen the people that love you and appreciate your work, coworkers, family come out and support you. And let me say this about the haters. Most of it's not real. And if it is real, most of those people you should feel sorry for because they are so mentally jacked up from years of being absolutely colonialized by their stupid parents that it doesn't <laughs> matter. None of it matters. What matters is what you do. What matters is that we have people like you that are able to be bellwethers for the rest of us as human beings, to be able to stand up for people, to give away your privilege. You did that. Um, as a human being, as a journalist. And I'm going to tell you, this is one of the, my favorite interviews, my favorite podcasts. We've been doing this for 57 minutes. And you have educated me. You have uh, uh, transparently told your story. The rest of this country stands with you. And I'm just mm. a big, dumb guy in Ontario <laughs> in Treaty 13. <laughs> so um, I am a fan and I'm a supporter mm. and anything that you need from me uh, or us here at Cryer Media Brandy, uh, we're here for it and we're here for you. And I want to thank you so mm. much for who you are, what you've done. And I want to encourage you not to give up because uh, the police state tells you to or they're trying to force you to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Mm. Top way, top way, Dean. Thank you. Hi, hi. It's been an, an honor. It's been a pleasure. And I feel freshly inspired. So thank you so much. Thank you for inspiring me. Brandy Morin, uh, reporter. Brandy Morin on Twitter is where you can find her or X. I don't call it X anymore. I can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> uh, but give her a follow. Follow her story. Uh, support her. Support Indigenous people who have been marginalized for a long period of time. Support the work that this young lady does. And thank you, ma'am, for everything. Thank you for taking time. Hopefully we can do this again. Mm, thank you. Hi, hey. Take care. That is uh, Brandy Moore, and she's a journalist arrested by Edmonton police because they just can't help themselves from being who they is. <sighs> I love people like that. You know why I love people like that? is because they stand to lose and they do it anyway. That's risking privilege is what that is for other people who need it. Might not be anything more powerful. Give Brandy a follow. Follow her story as well. Thanks to everybody who joined this uh, show. Thanks to everybody who listened to this on uh, Apple, iTunes, Google, Spotify, etc. Thank you to everybody that joined us. You got a chance to see the lovely Brandy on YouTube. You can find us at Cryer Media on YouTube or Dean Blundell Show on YouTube, anywhere you get your fine podcasts. And, of course, you can get everything you do on Twitter at It's Dean Blundell or The Cryer Media or go to Cryer.co. It's the best way to do it. Podcast Network and blog, Blogosphere. Blogosphere is what we're calling it now. Uh, and thanks to Brandy. Everybody, really appreciate you being here. I want to say thanks to our partners for making this possible as well. Gitch, luxury branded underwear, boxer briefs, pouch in the front. You can't miss. Order them at edsfineimports.com. Massive clothing selection, and right now he's got Gitch 3. That's your promo code. When you buy three or more, you'll get a free one when you use that code. Another 15% off your entire purchase. When you just give him your email address, and he'll let you know about promotions, contest invites, and more. So go to ed edsfineimports.com. Give him your email address. Massive online shopping, too, for guys and girls. And on top of it, the best underwear on the planet, luxury boxer briefs. Gitch. Gitch 3 is your promo code. Go to edsfineimports.com. 
Com. As well, we're brought to you by Muse Massage Spa. Uh, these are advocates and they're podcasters. Go to Muse on the mic and you can listen to uh, advocates and sexologists talk about being advocates in the sex industry as well. You can go and visit them at 1290 Finch Avenue West or MuseMassageSpa.com. But Riley and Emily do an unbelievable job of their podcast. It's called Muse on the Mic. They've got a Patreon channel. Go and subscribe to that as well. And uh, staying in Edmonton, Can Torque, one of our official partners. They make rugged, hardworking torque wrenches. Go to their brand new website today, CanTorque.com, uh, and uh, have a look at all their solutions they've got under one roof. They're Canada's leading industrial tool experts, giving you the very best in sales, service, rentals, calibration, maintenance, and custom fabrication of industrial torque tools, boring equipment. I mean, these guys do everything from fixing and uh, all the bolting solutions on like things that make channels to nuclear industry to heavy railroad, and they're the best in the world. We've got a brand new podcast with them, and if you're interested in any of the work that they do, uh, check it out on our uh, podcast feed as well. You can go to crier.ca. Colin Livingston is the owner-operator, 20 years of unparalleled expertise when it comes to bolting solutions. Nobody has a bolting solution for worldwide. Go to cantork.com today. Thanks, Brandy. Thanks to our partners. Thanks to you. Really appreciate everybody being here today. And uh, don't forget, you're only as good and only as kind as the last thing you do. Always remember that. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Bye. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests blue hotel hotline and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd.